Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. Right now, we have Pope Benedict, who's been laid to rest. He's entombed in the Grotto of Crips under St. Peter's. He's alongside the bodies of many previous popes, including, of course, St. Peter himself, the first pope, which is why St. Peter Basilica bears his name. Think about it. There's a 2,000-year connection, a straight line back from Pope Benedict XVI, 265 popes all the way back to St. Peter. And guess what? The world is hearing about this right now. And uh, it's, an, it's, it's uh, trending on every single station. Also, the month of January is the month of the holy name of Jesus. Let's make sure that we use the holy name of Jesus uh, for our, those uh, small little, what, what they're called, uh, arrow prayers throughout the day. Amen. And let's also pray for Pope Benedict right now. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. amen. Eternal rest granted to Pope Benedict, O Lord, let your perpetual light shine upon him. May the soul of Pope Benedict, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Yes, well said. Hey, today we're going to get actually the voice of Pope Benedict XVI. He was laid to rest today, as Jess said. But I've got a clip 20 years ago with Raymond Royal, and I encourage everybody to watch the world over every Thursday like I do. I watch it on on a later date, but I watch it every week. And I think he's going to be talking on the liturgy, and I wanted you to hear him speak on that. We're going to continue to get what we call the great quotes on the liturgy by Joseph Ratzinger and Pope Benedict XVI from you know books. He's written like 56 books. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said, and his contributions to the church are out of this world, and we're going to prove it today. Uh, Jesse, good to know file. I got something that this is good to know, and this is something I think uh, maybe people aren't aware of, and that is that... Uh, um, Russian President Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin. Putin, he said that on the 6th of January, which is for the Orthodox, the feast of the uh, Christmas, their, this, their Christmas, that there would be no fighting going on in the Ukraine. And wow. I was really surprised. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Reminds me of World War One. You remember? Yes. They took the time off and they played ball together. And I think it was Pope Benedict the Fifteenth. Yeah. Facilitated that. Yeah. And I have also another interesting note here. You won't hear the mainstream media saying no, what you just said, Terry. No, going to talk about that. No. You can't because he's a thug. I, I get it. I'm just yeah. saying the facts are the facts. I'm reporting the facts. Another good fact: Mel Gibson, Passion of Christ, Resurrection. It's shooting. In other words, they're starting the filming of it mid-2023. That also will bring people to Christ, just like his last oh. Passion of Christ did. Oh. And Jesse, this is my good-to-know file before we get to the uh, scriptures. Jordan Peterson told, is told to undergo social media retraining <laughs> to keep his clinical psychology license in the, st- in the country of Canada. I think it's hilarious. Unbelievable. They just don't agree with his policy. So guess what? They're going to make it rough on him. So no surprise. Wow. How about you, Jess? Yeah, a couple of things. The um, state representative, Lori Schlegel, yeah. a Louisiana Republican, succeeded in getting legislation passed that requires age verification before residents can view pornography online. She, uh, pornography, she said, is destroying our children. Yep. And they're getting unlimited access to it on the Internet. And so the pornography companies aren't going to be responsible. I thought we need to go ahead and hold them accountable. Good for her. That's Louisiana. Also, New York became the sixth state to legalize the composting of human remains. 
a practice that has raised alarm bells among religious groups. Legislation signed over the weekend by Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul, fake Catholic, would add, quote, natural organic reduction, close quote, alongside cremation and entombment, entombment as an acceptable burial net method. So that so the the liberals, Terry, they're not just happy with the cremation. No, no. Okay? Uh, they went now. <laughs> they want to they fertilize were... the flowers with grandpa. And grandpa. <laughs> That's exactly. And, what and they here's want. the problem, Jess. Just for us Catholics, the body is oh, sacred. God. Okay, we don't go out to the ocean and throw the ashes out into the ocean because Uncle Jim liked boating. See, <laughs> we, but we see what happens when you lose faith, Jesse. Anything goes. Yeah, the sky's the limit. Also, Kentucky State Treasurer Ellison Ball has come up with a list of nearly a dozen financial firms including behemoths like BlackRock, Citigroup, and J.P. Morgan that have boycotted gas energy. All state government entities will now be required to notify uh, uh, State Treasurer Ball within 30 days whether they're conducting business with the listed firms. He said, we're a fossil fuel producing state, Kentucky, so it's very important to us. <laughs> Good for them. They're, passionate. They're pushing back, Terry, against yeah, BlackRock. Yeah, they're holding their own, man. I say, wait yeah, a yeah, minute. Yeah. So Kentucky versus BlackRock, Stiddy Group, and J.P. Morgan, they're saying not, not in this state. Yep. Lastly, the Biden Food and Drug Administration on Tuesday made a regulatory change, opening the door for retail pharmacies to offer abortion pills directly to patients specifically certified pharmacies may now dispense uh which is used to abort babies in their first trimester so another piece of evidence that joe biden is the worst president in u.s history Well, because he's hell-bent on any way he can kill a child he's gonna you know do it i mean that sounds horrible and he's a he's a baptized catholic that's even makes it even worse jesse yeah and 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 an apostate catholic too as well yeah uh, so a little bit of soul food now, Terry. All right, How's man, that? Yeah, I just, I'm still shook by what's going on in the world. Like, wait, really? Is this microphone on? Yep. John chapter 1, verses 43 and following. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Today's holy gospel at Mass. Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the town of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one about whom Moses wrote in the law, and also the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. But Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, He is a true child of Israel. There is no duplicity in him. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, I saw you under a fig tree. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, you will see the sky opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the things that jump out at me here is in verse 45, Mm -hmm. where he talks about, he says, We have found one about whom Moses wrote in the law and also the prophets. In other words, 
when you look at Moses' writings, Moses spoke in the book of Deuteronomy of another prophet coming after me. That prophet that he's speaking about was the, was the Lord Jesus Christ. But the whole theme of the prophets, it's something that's introduced in all the Old Testament, but it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ himself. Also, our Lord talks about, uh, he, sa- he says about uh, Nathaniel. He says, uh, Nathaniel coming toward him said, he's a true child of Israel. There's no duplicity in him. Something very interesting about Nathaniel, that he's a descendant of the patriarch Jacob, who was renamed Israel, if you remember back in Genesis 32. And ironically, Jacob himself was known for beguiling ways because uh, he's the one that intercepted the family blessing intended for his older brother Esau. But Nathaniel, who's a descendant of him, is not like him. Also, verse 49 obviously jumps out at all of us. Or the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Son of God and King of Israel. These are titles that Jews would have understood because they're closely connected to ancient Israel. They're connected to King David and his successors. In fact, the successors of King David are called the sons of Yahweh. And, but unlike, his, uh, uh, unlike King David's uh, predecessors, Jesus is the Son of God by nature and not just by the covenant of divine adoption. For example, we're sons of God by the covenant of divine adoption. Jesus is son of God in an altogether different way by nature. And that's what uh, Nathaniel is, is asserting here, uh, that he's recognizing the divinity of Christ. And also Christ talks about in verse 51 about ascending and descending. Again, this is going back to Genesis chapter 28. We're talking back to Jacob's dream and Jacob's ladder where Jacob dreamed of a ladder spanning heaven and earth that enabled the angels to pass in and out of this world. Well, Jesus puts himself in the center of this vision. And what is he claiming? He's claiming that he, he is the place where heaven touches down to earth. That's the first thing that he's claiming. And the second thing that he's claiming, that is he's the true house of God. And the third thing that he's claiming is that he's the mediator through whom angels exercise their ministry. Well said. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room real quick, Bishop Sheen. Full Sheen ahead. Yes, this thing on politics sounds like he's talking right now in 2023. He says, never before in history has the spiritual been so unprotected against the political. Mm. Never before has the political so usurped the spiritual. It is not religion that is meddling into politics. It's politics that's meddling into religion. I'll give you an example, the abortion issue. And I'll give you another example. Hey, the state, the federal government funding so much Catholic material and then telling them, look, we're giving you this money, but here's what you need to do. See, when, whenever the government gets involved in funding the church, it's a bad idea, Jess. Mm. That's my take. Hey, Don't we, you know it. Yeah, when, yeah. We, when we come back, Jess, Cardinal Ratzinger, back in 2003, did an interview with Raymond Arroyo. And I want people to hear what he has to say about the liturgy. And I want you to hear the whole entire interview later. I'm only playing a little clip for you. You won't want to miss it. And it's appropriate because this is the day he's being laid to rest. So we'll have that when we come back. Stay with us, family. I'm Terry Jesse on Virgin Road Power. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. We've got a clip from Raymond Arroyo's show, The World Over on EWTN. It's just a minute and a half, but it, it gives you a taste of Pope Benedict XVI when what a humble man. 
answering questions regarding the liturgy. I wanted you to hear that. So, Mr. Engineer, please play the clip. And that sense of sacrifice and worship that you've talked about uh, so eloquently. How do you see that being restored concretely? Orientum, I would say, could be a help because it's really a tradition from the apostolic time and uh, is uh, not only uh, a norm, but is expression also of the cosmical dimension and of the historical dimension of the liturgy. Uh, we are uh, celebrating with uh, uh, the cosmos, with the world. We are in the direction of the future of the, the world, of our history, represented in the sun and in the cosmical realities, because it's a, a very uh, classical interpretation of what is the direction of the liturgy. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, I think it was good to translate the liturgy in the spoken languages, mm -hmm. because we will understand, we will participate also with our thinking. Mm -hmm. And so, but uh, a stronger presence of some elements of Latin would be helpful to give the universal dimension, to give the possibilities that in all the parts of the world, we can see I am in the same church. Mm -hmm. So generally, uh, Popular language is, uh, is a, a good, good solution, mm -hmm. solution, but uh, some presence of Latin could be helpful to have more experience of universality. That was two years before he became Pope Benedict XVI, and I wanted you to hear the rest of it by going to either EWTN's website or YouTube and typing in Cardinal Ratzinger, because the interview covers the crisis, the sexual crisis in the church, lots of other topics. But uh, I think it would be a great day to, uh, to watch that since this is the day of his funeral. Uh, Jesse, before we get into some more quotes, I have a couple thoughts. I watched a little bit of the funeral, and I know you did too. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was a little <laughs> taken back uh, during the consecration that they used Eucharistic prayer number three. Benedict XVI always used Eucharistic prayer one. They're all legitimate for the Mass. But it just seems that it's the short version of the consecration. And um, it just seemed I was a little surprised that they wouldn't follow his dictates of how he would want the liturgy. And then I also noticed a gentleman wanting to kneel down for Holy Communion and was told to get up. Wow. <laughs> you know, I just find such, you know, inconsistencies. That's all. I just wanted to, I don't know, did you see anything that you noticed uh, odd in that? I liturgy? saw the same thing. And then this is just what we've been saying and this proof in the pudding that you have modernists in very high places. They couldn't stand him. And this is this is basically their last act of defiance. Yeah. No, we're not going to give you Roman Missile number one. No, people aren't going to kneel down. We know that's what you pushed uh, through, through your uh, reform of the liturgy. Yeah. But we're not going to give your expressed wishes for your funeral. This is just so disrespectful from the left. And again, this is the Catholic left here that's that's uh, is occupying uh, many of the posts today in the Vatican. Well, at least they honored his request from the grave, saying that Biden, President Biden, shouldn't come to his funeral mass, and at least they acknowledged that. And I saw yeah. that I saw that the press secretary for Biden, when he was pushed why he wasn't, they said, "Why aren't you going to Pope Benedict's funeral?" And he responded outside of air, uh, the, the um, helicopter, uh, you know why. <laughs> and so he's very arrogant about it. But you know what, Jesse? I yeah. consider what Benedict did as an act of love because he was willing the good of a sinner, Joe Biden. Absolutely. Uh, you, you got that right, Terry. 
going to to some of the great quotes of Pope Benedict on the sacred liturgy. In 1990, here's another one that he made. Oh, yeah. He says, the "The liturgical reform and its concrete execution has moved further and further away from this origin in the best of the liturgical movement. The result has not been reinvigoration, but devastation. Yep. Wow. Strong language. In place of the liturgy that had developed, one has put a liturgy that has been made. That's important to make that distinction. One has deserted the vital process of growth and becoming in order to to substitute a fabrication. One no longer wanted to continue the organic developing and maturing of that which has been living through the centuries, but instead one replaced it in the manner of technical production with the fabrication, the banal product of the moment. Okay, I just let's just be honest. He's talking about the Novus Ordo Mass. He, of course he is. And, and, and he's calling it a banal product, a fabrication, technical production. In other words, he's saying this is not what we intended at the council. That's what he's saying. Yeah, and many others have said the same thing. Abbot Boniface, Luke, who we interviewed, said the same exact thing. Jesse, back years ago, decades ago, Salt of the Earth was published by Ignatius Press in 1997. We put that on cassette tape. Does everybody remember cassette tapes? Yeah. Mm, That's mm. what we did because it was so good. Here's what he said. I am of the opinion, to be sure, that the old right should be granted much more uh, generously to all those who desire it. Yep. It's impossible to see what could be dangerous or unacceptable about that. A community is calling its very being into question when it suddenly declares that what until now was its holiest and highest possession is strictly forbidden. Boy, well said. And when it makes the longing for it seem downright indecent. What? Unbelievable. Can it be trusted anymore about anything else? Won't it prescribe again tomorrow? What it prescribed today. That's page 176 and 177. Well said. I would like Pope Francis to read that book. I really mean that, Jess. I'm sorry. But this is the beauty of the church. He would probably read it and he would just probably say, I disagree with everything that's in that book. That's what he would probably yeah, say. Yeah, more than likely he would. Yeah. Uh, the first time I heard that phrase was from Ruben Nava about 30 years ago. We were young cops. He had discovered the Latin Mass. We were in our late 20s. Mm-hmm. And he always kept quoting that to me. He's yeah. saying, Jess, how can something that was suddenly holy and it was the highest possession of the church point, point. yesterday, how can it be unholy today? So I've been hearing that for 30 years from Ruben Nava. It's true. Uh, 30 years from now. It's yeah. True. And, yeah. And so and, and that did stick. And, and you know, he, he made a profound impact in me when he said that. Yeah. I didn't know much about the Latin Mass because I didn't grow up in it. So right. the next thing in 1998, in an uh, Pope Benedict, in an, uh, in, well, Cardinal Ratzinger, actually, yeah. he addressed uh, an audience October 21st. He said this, It is good to recall what Cardinal Newman said when he observed the ch- that the church in her entire history never once abolished or prohibited orthodox liturgical forms, something which would be entirely foreign to the spirit of the church. An orthodox liturgy, that is to say, a liturgy which expresses the true faith is never a compilation made according to the pragmatic criteria of various ceremonies which one may put together in a positivist and arbitrary way, today, like this, and tomorrow, like that. The orthodox forms of a rite 
are living realities born out of a dialogue of love between the church and her Lord. They are the expressions of the life of the church in which are condensed the faith, the prayer, and the very life of generations, and in which are incarnated in a concrete form at once the action of God and the response of man. If the unity of faith and the oneness of the mystery appear clearly within the two forms of celebration, that can only be a reason for everybody to rejoice and to thank the good Lord in as much as we all believe. Amen. Live and act with these intentions. We shall also be able to persuade the bishops that the presence of the old liturgy does not disturb or break unity of their diocese, but is rather a gift destined to build up the body of Christ, of which we are all the servants. Wow. Wow and wow. Yeah, and again, it's just th- th- this the this statements right here have just been completely ignored, man, and, and abrogated yeah. by uh, the new document That's put true. out by Pope Francis. Yeah, well, you it's, know, it's like if this never existed. Yeah, exactly. Now he also wrote a book that I know the publisher of Ignatius Press, the founder, Father Joe Festo, said is their most important book of thousands of books that they've published. It's called The Spirit of the Liturgy. I have it up on my shelf right there. And I would encourage anyone to get that book because here's a here's a, a little soundbite. Uh, maybe I have time to do that. He said, after the Second Vatican Council, the impression arose that the Pope really could do anything in liturgical matters falsely, especially if he were acting on the mandate of an ecumenical council. Eventually, the idea of, of the giveness of the liturgy, the fact that no one can do with it what one will, Will fade from the public consciousness of the West. Here's the, here's the here's the gold. This is it. In fact, the First Vatican Council had in no way defined the Pope as an absolute monarch. On the contrary, it presented him as a guarantee and obedience. Guarantor, yeah. Guarantor of obedience and to the revealed Word of God. The Pope's authority is bound to here it comes, the tradition of faith. And that also applies to the liturgy. Wow. It is not manufactured by authorities. Thank you, Pope Benedict. Even the Pope can only be a humble servant of its lawful development and abiding integrity and the identity. The authority of the Pope is not unlimited. It is at the service of the sacred tradition. So the Pope shouldn't be a dictator, right? Who says, it's my... I'm the boss. You got to do it my way. No, he's supposed to serve and confirm us in our faith, and especially through the liturgy. Your thoughts, Jess? Oh, you want to play it? Okay, well, we can play that. We're gonna play the little clip when we get. Let's see. Do it if you can do it right now. This is yeah, what happened. Yeah, We got time right ago. now. Go ahead. We got time. Wow. Yeah, they're pretty stuck on it, aren't they, Jesse? That's just, uh, you know what what it's doing is, again, you want Eucharistic revival? Knock that stuff off because that's going to undermine a Eucharistic revival. Yeah, we're nowhere near Eucharistic revival. It it has to come from the top down, and they just don't get it. The top doesn't get it. They don't understand that communion in the hand has been destroying the church systematically since 1965. They don't realize that standing up for Holy Communion has been destroyed. Destroy the church's faith. 
Again, once again, you could tell your kids all day long, millennials, whatever, what do you want to call them? Yeah. All day long. Oh, read John chapter six. Read, read the, the catechism. The, look at what the, look what it, Pope Paul the sixth. Look at this document. Then they go to mass and they see everybody sticking out their paws and they see lay people running up and down the sanctuary, dispensing communion right next to the priest, going into the tabernacle and they look at you and they say, uh, yeah, dad. I got you covered, Dad. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Actions speak louder than words is what you're saying, yeah. Jess. We need to get back to reverence, and that's how we're going to come back with a Eucharistic revival. And I would encourage people, again, to read Pope Benedict's book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, and you'll get it straight there. And I think that we as lay people need to be paid, continue to pray for our leaders in our church that they will confirm us in our faith and not undermine us in our faith by bad examples. That's what that is, yes. Hey, when we come back, we'll have more on Pope Benedict XVI's writings that should inspire you to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus and his church. Stay with us, family. Hey, Jess, I had to knock off some push-offs right now. (laughs) I'll tell you why, man. The craziness that I'm seeing in our church, it's almost like, Jesse, they're trying to destroy the church from within and take 2,000 years of teaching and use it and say, no, 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 I got a better idea. Okay, I just had to say that because it was on my chest. Go ahead. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you who else said that is Pope Paul VI. Yeah. He said that uh, back in the 70s that the church is starting to go through a process of auto-demolition. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think he had regrets Oh, big time. As to what he saw and uh, what ended up, what ended up coming out of the council, mm. let's take a look at another conference sure. that Joseph Ratzinger did back in two thousand and three. Yeah, and uh, he was addressing questions on the liturgy. He said so. He spoke to a again a, a conference of liturgists, mm-hmm. and here's what he said. Uh, or, or, or here's what's described what happened: yeah. a sizable party of Catholic liber- liturgists. Liturgy. Oh, no, that, he, he said this. He yeah. said this. Yeah, a sizable party of Catholic liturgists seems to have practically arrived at the conclusion that Luther, (coughs) rather than Trent, was substantially right in the 16th century debate. It is only against this background of the effective denial of the authority of Trent that the bitterness of the struggle against allowing the celebration of Mass, according to the 1962 Missal, after the liturgical reform can be understood. The possibility of so celebrating constitutes the strongest, and thus for them, the most intolerable contradiction of the opinion of those who believe that the faith in the Eucharist formulated by Trent has lost its value. Wow. Personally, I was from the beginning in favor of the freedom to continue using the old missile. Wow. So even as a young, even as a young prelate, young liberal, he admits that he wanted to keep the old missile for a very simple reason. People were already beginning to talk about making a break with the preconciliar church and are developing various models of church. Yep. A preconciliar and obsolete type of church and a new and conciliar type of church. This is at any rate nowadays the slogan of the Lefevrist, insisting that there are two churches. And for them, the great rupture becomes visible in the existence of two missiles, which are said to be irre- irreconcilable with each other. It seems to me essential, the basic step to recognize that both missiles are missiles of the church and belong to the church, which remains the same as ever. 
in order to emphasize that there is no essential break, that there is no that there is continuity in the church, which retains its identity, it seems to me indispensable to continue to offer the opportunity to celebrate according to the old missal, as a sign of the enduring identity of the church. This is for me the most basic reason. What was up until 1969, the liturgy of the church, for all of, for all of us, the most holy thing there was, cannot become after 1969 with incredibly positivistic decision the most unacceptable thing. He nailed it, Jesse. Let's read, let's, yeah. let's expand a little bit on that. Just what he's saying is, uh, you know, what was good uh, yesterday cannot be bad tomorrow. And, and I'll tell you why, because the Holy Spirit, who guides the church into all truth, yeah. that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, yeah. the Holy Spirit gave the West the Latin Mass through Pope Gregory the Great. Yeah. And so the Latin Mass was, was uh, offered for about 1,600 years. Now, the new Mass has been around, I think, for 52 years or 54 years. I'd have to do the math. April 4th, 1969. Okay, so if you're gonna, if we're going to say that the old mass is a, a mortal sin, yeah. and if it's uh, if we have to get rid of it because it's arcane and all these other you know descriptive words that are used by the modernists, then we're saying that the Holy Spirit led the church into error and falsehood for one thousand six hundred years, and that the Holy Spirit essentially started doing his job fifty two years ago. And started leading the church into all truth post-1965. That's a ridiculous view of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's a ridiculous view of the sovereignty of God, Terry. What I see, Jesse, and it was in the Cardinal Ratzinger report back in 1985, he really stated that these people who are trying to change the church have no supernatural faith. They've lost the supernatural, and they look at the church as like the optimist club. Those, those are, that's my line, but he, you know, in other words, they don't see the supernatural aspect of the church. They see the church as just another institution that can change just by, hey, you know what? We decided to do it this way. Well, we decided to have women's ordination. Oh, we decided to have this or that because, you know what? It's all about us. But you see, they lost the supernatural aspect. And I think Benedict is really, uh, Benedict the Sixteenth and Cardinal Ratzinger is really intellectually showing the error of modernism by putting out the truth. That's right. Back in 2005, yep. he gave a homily sure at, a, at, at a cathedral. This he said powerful. this. The power that Christ conferred upon Peter and his successors is, an absolute, is an, in an absolute sense, a mandate to serve. Amen. The power of teaching in the church involves a commitment to the service of obedience to the faith. The Pope is not an absolute monarch whose thoughts and, whose thoughts and desires are law. On the contrary... The Pope's ministry is a guarantee of obedience to Christ and his word. He must not proclaim his own idea. Well said. But rather constantly bind himself to the, to the church, uh, bind himself and the church to the obedience of God's word in the face of every attempt to adapt it or water it down and every form of opportunism. Jesse, that paragraph, before you go on, I just want to clarify. That paragraph describes this papacy. Exactly. It does because it's what yeah. I want. It's what I think. No, but you don't have. And, and even that it describes people like Father um, Martin, uh, who's yeah. a Jesuit, who says that you know the Book of uh, Romans. Uh, they're wrong there, because wrong. I think they're wrong. Well, who the heck's authority? Are you just who? Yeah. You know what we're basically having is 
uh, it's on my authority, God's authority, uh, keep him out of this. No, exactly. no, no. Don't keep him out of it. We have what Benedict said, be obedient to God's word, man. That's it. That Jesse, in theology, God's word's top of the food chain last time I looked. Yeah, that's Catholic teaching that the Pope is supposed to be in the service of God's word, not the other way around. Pope Benedict also said, he yep. said in this homily, yeah. the Pope knows that that in his important decisions, he is bound to the great community of faith at, of all times, to the binding interpretations that have developed throughout the church's pilgrimage. Thus his power is not being above, here it is, uh-huh. but at the service of the word of God. There it goes again. It is incumbent upon him to ensure that this word continues to be present in its greatness and to resound in its purity so that it is not torn to pieces by continuous changes in usage. That's what's going on exactly right now. It's being torn up. Our church is being torn up by leaders who are not faithful to the word of God. Now, did I say that, Jesse? I'm going to demonstrate that, okay? I'm going to demonstrate it by saying that you're taking the Mass and saying, oh, we don't need this section of the Mass. They're, they're vitae. Oh, wait a minute. They're on birth control, we're going to change that. They're already talking like this. Absolutely, but, but they're see, talking like this. What they're doing is they're tearing the church apart by taking the teachings and throwing things out like they can do that. No, that's not, that's not Catholic uh, teaching. Well, again, they're, uh, I think what they want to do is they want, to per- they want to perpetuate a schism. It's going to happen. The, their, actions, de- their actions demonstrate that. Here's the letter to the bishops accompanying Samorum Pontifican back oh, in I 2007. It's beautiful. Pope Benedict writes, or Cardinal Ratz, well, yeah, he was uh, no, retired at this point. Yep. Yeah, he was a, Pope, Pope Emeritus. Yeah. He no, said, 2007, it, Jess, he's the oh, Pope. so he was the Pope. Okay, Correct. got it. Go, go for it. It is not appropriate to speak of these two versions of the Roman Missal as if they were two rites. Rather, it is a matter of a twofold use of one and the same rite. There you go. As for the use of the 1962 Missal as a forma extraordinaria of the liturgy of the mass i would like to draw attention to the fact that this missile was never juridically abrogated and consequently in principle was always permitted ends the argument there many people who clearly accepted the binding character of the second vatican council and were faithful to the pope and the bishops nonetheless also desired to recover the form of the sacred liturgy that was dear to them this occurred above all because in many places celebrations were not faithful to the prescriptions of the new missal. Yeah, I can imagine. I can just see all the masses that I've seen oh, since the new missal came abuse? out. Oh, come yeah. on. Yeah, beach masses. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Santa Claus mass. Yeah, but the latter actually was understood as authorizing or even requiring creativity. Talking about the Novus Ordo mass yeah. requires creativity, yeah. which frequently led to the deformations of the liturgy, which were hard to bear. I am speaking from experience since I too lived through the period with all its hopes and its confusion, and I have seen how arbitrary deformations of the liturgy cause deep pain to individuals totally rooted in the faith of the church. I'm one of them. Yeah. Pope John Paul II felt obliged to provide in his motu proprio ecclesia guidelines for the use of the 1962 missile. That document, however, did not contain detailed prescriptions, but appealed in a general way to the generous response of the bishops towards the legitimate aspirations of those members of the faithful who requested this usage of the Roman rite. And again, the the, the left just poo-pooed that documentary. they did. Yeah. And that's why just a lot of them ended up splitting and going to the extreme right, Mm -hmm. because they just poo-pooed. Uh, Pope John Paul II tried to extend the olive branch to them, but the bishops, the other bishops, they just said, and disregard this document. The fear was expressed in discussions that, uh, about the awaited motu proprio, 
that the possibility of a wider use of the 1962 missile would lead to disarray or even divisions within parish communities. This fear also strikes me as quite unfounded. The use of the old missile presupposes a certain degree of liturgical formation and some knowledge of the Latin language. Neither of these is found very often. Already, from these concrete presuppositions, it is clearly seen that the new missile will, will certainly remain the ordinary form of the Roman rite, not only on account of the juridical norms, but also because of the actual situation of the communities of the faithful. Yeah, what's the actual situation? Latin is no longer taught in seminaries. And, 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 can uh, I jump and, in? And, and, and the old mass is not taught in old seminaries as well. Exactly. And Jesse, let's be honest. The Second Vatican Council said that we're supposed to know our parts of the mass in Latin. How in the world are we supposed to know these parts if, if we don't we... practice them? Thank you. Jess, yeah. when we come back from the break, let's continue. But I want to make a little promotion here. We've got the Spiritual Warfare com- spiritual warfare. I think we conference. got uh, Ch- Church Milton coming up next here, I think. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, J- hey, Jesse, I'm getting old, aren't I? Yeah, <laughs> both Unbe- of us. Let me give a plug to the March 25th, 26th uh, March of, uh, Spiritual Warfare Conference. This year we have a special guest, Bishop Joseph Strickland. He'll be joining us. And world-renowned exorcists, also Father Chad Ripperger, Jess Romero, Dan Snyder, Diane Clements, much more. Join us by going to vmpr.org to sign up for that. Also, we have the spirit. We have the evangelization conference coming up on the 14th of January. Check it out on our website. Please join us. We need to evangelize the world. I mean, who's evangelizing who? The world or Christ or the church? Let's get in it. We'll be right back with Church Militant. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Jesse, Romero, Terry, Barber, we're two old guys in our 60s. And I laugh right on the air, both of us, man, get confused. But folks, uh, we, you know why? Because it's who we are. We have passion, but you know, we're getting old and we need some young guys coming up to take our place eventually because... We are in our 60s. Hey, Jess, oh, it's, it's Thursday, so let's continue with this letter to the bishops uh, in 2007 because he. Uh, this is important because it ties into what we found out yesterday that Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI was very unhappy when Pope Francis undermined everything he wanted to go with the extraordinary form of the Mass. So let's, you know, let's just continue because this is something that uh, a lot of us are really concerned about having a Latin Mass of the Extraordinary Form to continue. Yes. Yeah. The The last part of this paragraph, mm-hmm. of this section here, yeah. about uh, Samorum Pontificum, it says here, yeah. I, have, I, I now come to the positive reason which motivated my decision to issue this motu proprio updating that of 1988. This is Pope Benedict. Right. It is a matter of coming to an interior reconciliation in the heart of the church. Looking back over the past to, to the divisions which in the course of the centuries have rent the body of Christ, one continually has the impression that at critical moments when divisions were coming about, not enough was done by the church's leaders to maintain or regain reconciliation and unity. One has the impression that omissions on the part of the church have had their share of blame for the fact that these divisions were able to harden. This glance at the past imposes an obligation on us today to make every effort to enable for all those who truly desire unity to remain in that unity or to attain it anew. 
I think of a sentence in the second letter to the Corinthians where Paul writes, quote, Our mouth is open to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Well said. In return, widen your hearts also, close quote, 2 Corinthians 6, 11. Paul was certainly speaking in another context, but his exhortation can and must much touch us too precisely on this subject, subject of the Latin Mass. Let us generously open our hearts and make room for everything that the faith itself allows. In the history of the liturgy, there is growth and progress, but no rupture. What Again, here's that famous quote that Reuben hit me with 30 years ago. What earlier generations held as sacred remains sacred and great for us too. And it cannot all of a sudden be entirely forbidden or even considered harmful. Close quote. He writes, it behooves all of us to preserve the riches which have developed in the church's faith and prayer and to give them their proper place. And his last testamentary, Pope Benedict XVI said this as his last testament in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yep. He said, I have always said and even still say that it was important that something which was previously the most sacred thing in the church to people should not suddenly be completely forbidden. Exactly. A society that considers now to be that considers now to be forbidden what it once perceived as central core that cannot be the inner identity it has with the other must remain visible. So for me, it was not about tactical matters and God knows what, and God knows what, Mm -hmm. but about the inward reconciliation of the church with itself. And so Peter Seawald asks him, he says, so the reauthorization of the Tridentine mass is often interpreted primarily as a concession to the society of the St. Pius X. Pope Benedict responds, this is just absolutely false. Yep. It was important for me that the church is one with herself inwardly, with her own past. Again, what was previously holy to her is not somehow wrong now. Well said. Yeah. Hey, and, and his yeah, read the last part here. No, no, you go ahead, Jesse, because I'm going to tie this into the Anglican Ordinariate decision okay. by Benedict. Continue, please. In 2017, he wrote a letter to Gerhard Cardinal Mueller. Yep. And here's what he's told him. Yep, tell him. In the confused time, this is Pope Benedict to Gerhard Mueller. Yep. In the confused times in which we are living, the whole scientific, theological, competent, and wisdom of he mm-hmm. who must make the final decisions seems to me of vital importance. For example, I think that things might have gone differently in the liturgical reform if the words of the experts had not been the last ones. Yeah. But if, apart from them, a wisdom capable of recognizing the limits of a simple scholar's approach, had passed judgment. No humility there uh, that was being practiced there. Jesse, I want to tie this in. The National Catholic Register, uh, owned by EWTN, has a lot of good articles, but there's one article that talks about uh, Monsignor Nasa, of the ordinate, it was Benedict XVI. Uh, He's the one who put in uh, the achievement, was created a personal ordinariate for Anglicans whereby members of the Anglican community could enter the Catholic Church while re- retaining their heritage and their liturgy. Their heritage and their liturgy <clears throat> goes back to the Council of Trent, okay? 
So we get an English-speaking English mass, but it's basically the old Trinitine mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I go to every Sunday <clears throat> here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. And I've noticed <clears throat> that uh, right now, Jesse, we started with about 11 people coming two and a half years ago. We now have about 350 uh, members coming to church on the weekend. Now, why is it, Jess? We kneel for Holy Communion only on the tongue. Uh, the liturgy is beautifully sung. Uh, we have uh, we even we even sing when we do the readings for the Mass, just like a high Mass. And so this is what people are looking for. And Benedict the Sixteenth, uh, I want to thank him because I wouldn't be able to get to that Mass without what he did by bringing them in. And I know, to be honest with you, I'm going to say it right now: the present Pope was very upset with what Benedict did when he brought the Anglicans in because Pope Francis's comment was, let them stay Anglican. They don't need to become Catholic. Well, Holy Father, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, Joe Sixpack, but I please, uh, the uniqueness of being a Catholic, we have the fullness of the truth. Please confirm me in that faith because what you just said was it didn't matter that they become Catholic. And I find that not consistent with what Catholic Church has taught for 2,000 years. So I humbly, out of act of charity, ask you to see the church as unique as we all have for 2,000 years and not just something to be taken or to be left off. Jess, I had to say it. Yes. Terry, I just want to give kudos to a bunch of moms around the country Mm -hmm. in these last couple of minutes. Yeah. They're called co-founder of Moms for Liberty, or Moms for Liberty, excuse me. Okay. Moms for Liberty. Good. So this is a grassroots movement of moms, and they've become a, po- a political force in 2022. What they're doing is they're ousting woke school board members. Uh, again, they, they don't have the money that the teachers' unions have, but these Moms for Liberty, and the co-founder's name's Tiffany Justice, they are getting candidates, conservative people of faith candidates, to run for school boards against those people that are pushing critical race theory, for them. trans transgenderism, yeah. uh, what's uh, uh, those uh, those women that come in and do these uh, story t- story time with uh, you know with these witches or yeah. so you have these moms just and they're called out moms for liberty and they, their <clears throat> philosophy is they want to get rid of. All the liberal, woke, critical race, transgenderism, LGBTQ rights, sexuality issues from all the schools in the country. And again, they don't have a few huge war chests compared to the teachers union. They're just starting. But it it goes to show you, Terry, uh, when uh, when the mama bear comes out and these women look out. Yeah, look out because just for example, just in California and the teachers union in California, these guys have deep pockets, deep pockets. Uh, in in uh, in in the teachers union there was 50 people that was running for for different uh, seats within within uh, the school boards well guess what out of the 50 seats in california 28 of those were won by moms for liberty again with basically little to no money in their coffers versus the teachers union so of the 50 seats 21 were taken over by conservative people of faith moms it goes to show you what can happen when people of faith organize and they gather together terry against absolutely the, and against jesse, diabolical and, left and jesse i mentioned that putin ordered a ceasefire in the ukraine for january 6th and 7th 
Ukraine rejects Putin's call for Christmas truce. Sorry to have oh, wow. to say that, Jesse. That just came in on the wire. Wow. And and who's uh, see, and people are blaming the war on, on, on yeah Ukraine. Putin. Yeah, yeah, I know. On Putin. Yeah, there's thirty-six saying, hour ceasefire. He wants it. Nope, not going to happen. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. Well, we pray for those folks because I think Our Lady of Fatima said war is a punishment for sin. Yep. yep. We're there, Terry. We we're got there. It. We're very sinful. We're, yeah. Come on. Just want, on. want to mention one last thing on a good news. Yeah. Pope Benedict, as he was breathing his last breath, the nurse in attendance, <laughs> yes. she heard him say, Jesus, I love you. Basically, the words of Peter to Jesus in John 21, 15. I love it. Jesus, I love you. Before he exhaled and, exhaled and breathed his last breath. Uh, again, he, uh, and even right now in his funeral, he's preaching from the grave with his last request <laughs> not to have Joe Biden attend his funeral. Well, he's the greatest pope in my lifetime. Uh, God have mercy on his soul. Amen. And just remember, Our Lady said this, that souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. You know, Jesse, it's so important uh, to admonish the sinner. And, you know, that's one of those spiritual works of mercy that we forgot. We really have. We forgot that when someone's living in error, to not teach them the truth that tells me you don't love them. The idea that you just say, well, you know, they're living in fornication and adultery. You know what? Let them go. You know, God, God will be merciful to them. Now, you know what you're saying is that you're not willing to tell them the truth about the message that Christ teaches regarding marriage. Yeah. And we hear that even inside the church. So we need to make reparation for that. How do we do that? Through our own prayers and sacrifices. Jesse, how do we, uh, what state should we be living in, brother, to do that? Oh, wow, Terry. Last time I checked, the only state to live in out of all 50 is called the state of grace. Mm -hmm. And the only state yep. not to live in is called the state of mortal sin. Because we are called to be a lighthouse amidst the gathering storm. We're called to pray America great again. Catholics, we're called to be great saints. Do not miss the opportunity, as the Bible says. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Well said. And don't forget, January 14th, Virgin Most Powerful will be hosting an evangelization conference here at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina. It's an all-day event featuring Johnny Romero, Jesse's brother, and myself. And we're going to be talking about how to share your faith with anyone. The world right now acts like God doesn't exist. How do we change that? Well, one soul at a time, and we're going to teach you that. Go to vmpr.org. Or call us at 877-526-2151 to register. We also have the March 25th, 26th conference, Spiritual Warfare Conference coming up. Check that out. There's still a little room for you to get into that one. Thanks again, and may God richly bless you and your family.